You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome, everyone, to RB1 Colon of Fantasy Football Podcast, part of the Fake Cheese Podcast channel. I am the consummate professional, rom-com aficionado, conductor of the now completely dead Devin Funches hype train, worshiper of Nikhil Harry, friends with the Oracle, constant doubter of Alvin Kamara, and would kindly like you to wear a mask so we can all watch Cam Newton remind us how good he is, uh, your humble host, Pete Rogers. And I am joined in a cabin with all of the guys because we are all sharing the same cabin. The Duck Father, recovering Texans fan, DK Metcalf's number one admirer, caster of the double reverse chutzpah, champion of Dogos Everywhere, proponent for a Jon Snow line of product for hair. That's, I'm flubbing all over this. And the man formerly known as Steve Timberland, resident old man Clark Barnes, WNBA hot take machine, El Saboteur, captain of the Buccaneers bandwagon, proud father of Quentin Nelson, Scotty Miller fanboy, the best cornhole part- partner in the world, according to Jimmy Graham, the coach whisperer, the wine sipper, the Will Disleyer, the working girl Jordan Smith, and finally, fantasy football's premier internet doctor, the biggest 49ers fan you know, Larry Fitzgerald's lone admonisher, the number two Walter Sobchak, but number one Tarzan, fan of what scientists lovingly call facts, teacher of the if you're not cheating, you're not trying mentality, and thinks your favorite team is run by donkeys, Nick still got the mustache, Butterford. Guys, how are we doing today? Doing great, Pete. Good Good. I am good. Uh, you'll probably notice my audio is not as crisp and clean as it used as normally is. That is because I brought. I'm at Becca's family's cabin in northern Wisconsin right now, and I brought my normal mic, thinking that perfect. We'll plug this in. I'm using Becca's laptop right now to record, and of course, Becca has one of the new fancy iMacs or MacBook Pros that don't have a USB port. So I am recording. Luckily, I brought these that have uh, the you know just normal Apple headphones that have a built-in microphone. So that is what we are rolling with t- today. Just buy a hundred and forty-dollar adapter so you can use the equipment. Perfect. That's what I'll do next time, and I'll charge it to fake teams, and we won't get reimbursed. <laughs> where, where are you at there in Wisconsin? Well, we're up in uh, uh, Cumberland. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I know whereabouts you're at. Yeah. There was a big old outbreak of COVID at the packing plant because no one wears masks. So that was exciting. But luckily, luckily. That's actually happened at several packing plants in Wisconsin. Like, yeah. that's a, a trend. That's shot, not, not too shocking when, uh, when uh, there's not a lot of uh, regulations in regards to mask wearing. Though they have recently been a little more stingent about that. And that's probably because there have been a lot of outbreaks. But we are, we packed everything in. We are here with Becca's mom and just hunkering down for the week. We leave Thursday and uh, we are not leaving the premises until then. And Bert is having a field day learning what uh, a lake is and water is. It's been, it's been a great time. Never but had water before. He's never, he's never had water before. <laughs> we, we like, 
what refreshing. is this wet thing? <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's it's been good, but it also means that I am I'm pulling a Clark here, you guys. I have been removed from my phone since we've gotten here. Uh, since Becca has this is our vacation, so we're we're trying to limit our phone usage as much as, as much as possible. So when I am reading the news, I'm going to be learning it along with you listeners. So this is this is the first that I'm hearing on some of the news. Uh, some of the things we'll talk about, I you know, happened before we before we left. Uh, but some of the more recent things will be news to me. So we are obviously going to tackle the AFC East, do our deep dive for that today. But before that, some breaking news. And we'll start the news uh, with news that came on, what was it, Friday, I think, or Friday that uh, this happened, that Darius Geis was released by the Washington football team uh, for being arrested for domestic violence. Uh, He was charged with a whole bunch of things, which does not look good. Uh, So he is no longer on the Washington football team and has made it through waivers and no one has claimed him. Hopefully the NFL has learned a lesson and he won't get claimed, but Nonetheless, uh, this is a shakeup for the Washington backfield, one that involves Adrian Peterson and uh, the rookie, what is his name, who everyone suddenly got, Antonio Gibson, who everyone was just like, that's it. He's the, he's the guy now. Uh, does this, Nick, we'll start with you, like the shaking up of a backfield that maybe you were hesitant to buy into, is there anyone that emerges as a trustworthy ad here or are you just still going to be like, maybe I'm going to stay away from this, uh, this backfield. I think the, the biggest thing I can offer is just laughing at the, the headline that said uh, Rivera thinks Peyton Barber has a three down skill set. <laughs> Peyton Barber strikes again. Yeah. I, I think Gibson's um, I think he has potential and I think getting a piece of, you know, whichever guy you think is going to break out at the very end of the, at the very end of your draft, uh, go for it. He, he's probably got the most upside. Um, you know, Bryce Love is, has been really banged up. Adrian Peterson is 45. Um, or, yeah, I mean, Barber might get like 15 carries a game. But anyway, yeah, no, nothing hot. No, no hot takes. Yeah, this doesn't really change my skepticism on the Washington backfield uh, because I, I was just more so worried about – Darius guys being able to stay healthy for a full season, Adrian Peterson being like 40 now and whether or not he's going to be sticking around and getting carries Antonio Gibson's a rookie and Washington is just kind of all over the place. I don't really know what they're doing. Terry McLaurin's the only one that I'm really interested in on that team. Yeah, the, the boring but obvious play is Adrian Peterson. He had like seven or eight games last year when he went over 10 points in standard leagues. I know that he's old, but he's still the best running back in Washington. Uh, so as a late-round pick, if you go uh, with a lot of wide receivers early and you're just throwing darts, Adrian Peterson, I think, is going to start. And you could do a lot worse than taking a chance on some uh, rookie third down back when you're trying to be clever than picking Adrian Peterson. He's probably going to get 15 or 16 carries for an NFL team. Yeah. Yep. I like all of that. I, it's, it's going to be something where I think it, we'll wait and see kind of how things play out uh, and, you know, pay attention to camp or whatever camp is this year and, and kind of how the early season plays. I don't think it's something where maybe in, I mean, in dynasty, Antonio Gibson is obviously like, if you're still drafting for that, or if you want to try to make moves in that, like he is definitely a name to, to be targeting. But I think if you're doing a redraft league, I would, I would, I would look to address that backfield 
on waivers. Maybe, maybe taking Adrian Peterson because of, as we've talked about in, in uh, episodes past, where if this season is a shortened season, take the, take the veteran who's going to be starting day one. And then, you know, maybe the rookie will take over, but the rookie might take, not take over until week five or so. And uh, there's no reason to, no reason to, you know, if the season doesn't go till week five, then a little dangerous. Uh, also in the news for the Washington football team, we might, we might have a sense of uh, what the rebrand will be. Evidently, they sent out a tweet on Monday that showed a fan submission suggesting that their team will be named the Red Wolves. Here is the tweet. Uh, it says, oh, the tweet was deleted. Dun, dun, dun. The drama persists. But maybe Washington's name will be called the Red Wolves. Who knows? But in actual player movement and fantasy news, Clark's boy has now become my boy. Lamar Miller reaches an agreement with a one-year deal with the New England Patriots. Clark, I mean, this this just makes just must fill you with just so much joy. First, DeAndre Hopkins is traded away from the Texans, and now Lamar Miller is now on the Patriots. Yeah, so this is another boring thing that I'm sure people are going to make fun of, but Lamar Miller's played pretty well over the past couple of years and that he's remained healthy and he has done what the coach has asked him to do. Sounds an awful lot like a player Bill Belichick's going to like, and Sonny Michel's knee troubles look like they are continuing at least into the offseason. Hopefully he'll be able to get healthy, but um, I know we all like Rex Burkhead and the 40 snaps a year that he plays. He looks fun, <laughs> but Lamar Miller may end up being the target in New England this year. I, I think it's really bad for Sonny Michel. Like, he, he might – I think the recently uh, said he might not even be able to, like, practice i the with the, the most recent foot surgery um yeah lamar miller he's just gonna keep doing his thing 20 yeah, real I, bad carries i mean the thing is is like he's a, he, i feel like he's another one of these yards of carry <laughs> he's another one of these players who you have a preconceived notion about him and then when you look at his most most recent numbers you're like oh so he missed all of 2019 but 2018 for the, when he was playing with the Texans, he played 14 games, 210 carries, 973 yards, five touchdowns, and then 25 catches and 163 yards in the air. Not terrible. Like, you know, and if you're going in New England where New England, who knows what this post uh, Tom Brady backfield is going to look like. And we've talked about some of the names there and everyone, you know, but it may be less of a committee now without Tom Brady. We also do know that it's been, I feel like, widely established that a running quarterback obviously helps your ground game and helps running backs have more holes to attack and gain more yards because defenses have to worry about the actual running. You know, there's another player on the field that defenses have to worry about. So with Cam Newton under center, you know, the Patriots run game might be a little more potent than it has been in the past. And if Lamar Miller comes in and is able to do anything again, big F simply because a veteran signed at this point in time, who knows whether or not, uh, you know, what, what kind of role they'll actually have to start the season. But I agree with Nick, and I feel like this is the ultimate sentiment here is, is that this is uh, far from good news for Sony Michelle. Uh, I, I would not be drafting Sony Michelle in any of my leagues this year. Jordan has nothing to say. That's good. Well done. I mean, it, it doesn't change my mind about this backfield either. I'm a little worried and skeptical about all of them there too. So. <laughs> Um, since I have been in a remote cabin in Northern Wisconsin, are there any news bulletins that I am missing that you guys feel like should be discussed? 
Yeah, I'll uh, I'll toss two out there. One uh, report I think from yesterday uh, named. I think it was writer speculation, so it has to come with an asterisk. But I believe it, uh, Marlon Mack is like expected to be named the starter, which is in line with stuff we've talked about here. That's great for the beginning of the season. We expect Taylor to take over, but it's nice to know that we might have like a 15 to 18 plus touch guy in that backfield. Um, uh, additionally, Ronald Jones, I'm kind of like super on board now. Um, <laughs> Brady's Brady's been having him. He's been helping him with his route running. Arians has said that he's the top guy. And like this, this defense is just going to keep them in scoring position constantly. And I, I, I'm honestly wondering if like, maybe not to this extreme, but something like Brandon Jacobs uh, in like 2006, when he had like, for those who don't know, Brandon Jacobs was six foot four, over 260 pounds, and he he was in shared the backfield with Tiki Barber, who still scored like eight TDs, but he had a, a season that was like 350 or 60 yards and 10 scores. And I kind of think Ronald Jones is going to have like 510. Like, I, I don't think he's going to get a ton. I, they're not, I don't think they're going to have to drive the length of the field very frequently, but I think they're going to live in the red zone. And even though they're going to be rolling, uh, you know, Evans and Godwin out there with Gronk, that's effectively like a three wide set, the way that they can line them up. Um, as, as far as like what defensive personnel is going to have to be out there, there's going to have to be like some sort of coverage player out there. Anyway, point is 80 to 85% of rushing production just comes from how many men are in the box. And I, I just thinking that like, if they throw out Justin Watson or Scotty Miller too, like they could just spread these guys out. And then big calves, uh, Ronald Jones is just going to plow his way in for 10 touchdowns. And he's going in like the seventh round or something. I'm really liking him as uh, a low volume, you know, RB two play. If you do choose to, well, if you, whatever, I mean, 10 touches, would you, 10 would touchdowns. you rather Ronald Jones or uh, David Montgomery? I don't want David Montgomery at all. So, so Ronald, Jones. Ronald Jones. Ronald Jones is Nick's QB twenty five right now, you guys. <laughs> he's my QB twenty five. Yeah, QB. He's beating Tom Brady too for the starting. Is is, is that where you have him on the Mon- top no 100? Montgomery? Montgomery is going as the twenty fifth running back in terms of uh, oh, okay. fantasy pros conglomerate ADP. So if you'd rather, okay. have, that's a, yeah. Just just giving a little sense. I mean, the, the opportunity cost. Is I just, did want to. I did yeah, want to quickly. I had a news bulletin that was in the back of my mind, but I forgot to write it down. And now, Nick, you reminded me of it. We talked about Marquise Brown last week beefing up. Jordan, did you notice? Scotty Miller is added ten pounds of muscle this offseason. So the boy's ready our, to fly. Our favorite kind of news is somebody <laughs> looks good after an offseason of training. <laughs> and Bruce Arian has. Scotty Miller quote looks good. <laughs> Which means breakout season for Scotty Miller coming in hot. It's just great for the brand, honestly. Love it. Love to see it. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. Let's get into the uh, our AFC East deep dive then. And uh, we are going to start with, as we do, our trustworthy elites. And Clark, why don't you lead off this segment and uh, introduce us and get us ready for the uh, AFC East. So y'all probably noticed this looking at it too. Pete set this up for us. Uh, trustworthy elite supposed to be a guy going in the first, you know, one first, second, or third round that you feel really confident in drafting. And the AFC East is the only division in football who doesn't have anyone 
going in the first round. Uh, they don't have anyone going in the second round, and they don't have anyone going in the third round. The first representative to be drafted from the AFC East is Le'Veon Bell at number 40. And I feel like that's a really good rank for that entire division that the <laughs> Patriots are going to win again. Uh, Zero surprised at that very surprising bit of info. Le'Veon Bell as the first. Yeah, I, th- I think you're entirely right, Clark. There's, I have in my notes, for trustworthy elite, there's no one. I'm not, there's no one in the AFC East who I'm taking in the first three rounds with supreme confidence that they're going to be uh, a fantasy darling for me. I mean, I have a lot of targets here, and I have, I have oh. some guys that I think are super interesting, but they're yeah. all middle-of-the-draft types. Yep. Yeah, uh, and I, I won't even be t- uh, taking Le'Veon Bell. So, it, I don't know. For me, it's, it, the, the, the AFC list doesn't, still doesn't even start there at number 40. It starts all the way down at 60 with Stefan Diggs. Yeah, Le'Veon Bell is actually my stay away. And for this category, I feel like I should have the – Bart Simpson giving me the cake at least you tried because <laughs> I was just looking for anyone um I did label Stefan Diggs just because I he was honestly as close to eliteness as I could think of in the AFC East just by pure uh talent um I, I kind of I think he's pretty decent at the spot that he's at wide receiver 25 so it's not a huge investment um I mean the issue is that you don't know if Josh Allen is going to be able to get him the football, and that's kind of a big issue. So, um, again, it's it's tough, but that that's as close as I got. Yeah, I uh, I will. I mean, we don't want to spend too much time here. We can certainly move on because there's going to be a lot of discussions, like Clark had mentioned. There's a lot of guys kind of later in drafts that are exciting and have a lot more intrigue. I don't mind the Stefan Diggs pick. I think I have grown. I've warmed up to him a little bit more than I used to be when the trade first happened. When it first happened, I was like, I'm not touching Stefan Diggs. Um, but at the wide receiver 25 and with his ability to get open in those intermediate routes and the fact that Josh Allen, despite the fact having a cannon and not being able to throw a deep ball, got better last year at throwing those intermediate routes that there is potential for if they can click uh, – Stefan Diggs' ability to get open, Josh Allen's ability to like throw the medium route decently well, that there could be something there. But that's also putting a lot of emphasis on a wide receiver changing teams, pairing with a quarterback who's had accuracy issues in an offseason that they're not actually practicing together before a season starts. So there's a lot of a lot of skepticism there uh, with with Stefan Diggs in terms of like what his what his floor could be. Because the ceiling could be high, but is it's whether or not there's like is there a stable floor there that you're willing to take, you know, at a at wide receiver 25? So I, I don't want to mess up your flow, Pete, but like I can tie in my must draft avoid and bonus avoid all related to Stefan Diggs. <laughs> if that won't hurt. Uh, let's, l- let's, let's save you'll, we'll save it when we get right. into those sections. So let's, let's, uh, before we get into, we have league winner and not drafting in late sleeper who we're going to talk about. And before we get to those guys, uh, let's take a quick ad break. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. 
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we're back. We're going to talk now uh, league winners. And uh, I'll start us off. And I think Clark and I will, will share and have a little uh, similar discussion about our player right here because I think we got the same guy down. Cam Newton is 100% a league winner uh, in my book. He is going as, and this is on Fantasy Pros Consensus ADP, and we're doing half-point PPR, but that doesn't matter for quarterbacks. He is going as the quarterback 21, uh, according to Fantasy Pros' uh, Consensus ADP. That's below Jimmy Garoppolo below Jared Goff, below Ryan Tannehill, above guys like Kirk Cousins, Drew Locke, Philip Rivers, Teddy Bridgewater. Kirk Cousins, side note, I feel like Kirk Cousins gets unnecessary flack from a fantasy perspective. Uh, he's a pretty good fantasy quarterback. Anyways, but Cam Newton, like if he, everything we have seen this offseason has been him training, him preparing, and this mentality of like wanting to come in and show specifically the Panthers, but the whole entire NFL that like he has not lost it. And he's been dealing with injuries for the last couple of years of his career. But I think he's had the time now to hopefully rehab those to the fullest extent that he possibly can. And you're playing in a system under Bill Belichick with Josh McDaniels, who is going to take full advantage of everything Cam Newton has to offer. I just think that there are, as we build our house on narrative street, there are so many different people in the new England team right now who are like, out to prove something this year that I have a hard time seeing Cam Newton. Cam Newton's either going to be a success or is going to get injured and his injuries have caught up to him and he's not able to like be a productive quarterback. But if everything even clicks like 80% right for him this year, I just think that he is a top 15, possibly top 10 quarterback, uh, top 15 quarterback with like no effort in my mind, top 15, top 10 with very minimal effort and uh, is someone who I'm going to be drafting at the back end of every single one of my drafts as probably my QB one. Yeah, I think I'll, I agree with you there. I think I'll save mine for the do not draft because it is intertwined with another player that I'd like to make some comparisons to. Clark is just the entire AFC East is all conglomerate is the one giant combo for Clark. We'll give you the final. Just an like, article about it, which will be available next tomorrow, today, probably as you're listening to this on faketeams.com. Oh, look at that plug. I love it. Uh, Jordan, why don't you give us your league winner? Uh, my league winner, um, I went with jo- uh, Josh, uh, Jordan Howard on this one. Um, I, I do think that he will end up being the lead back in Miami. He'll have Matt Breda to kind of take some touches away from him, but at the position that Jordan Howard is going in the draft, um, RB 35, 94 overall, I believe, in our list, he's like one spot under. Matt Breda so uh, it'll be tough to probably tie those two together but at the same time um, I, I feel like that's pretty good value for a back at that point in the draft because fact of the matter is at that point you're just not going to get a uh, a workhorse in the offense unless you stumble upon somebody who gets into a situation where everybody else gets injured around him um, there's been a lot of chatter about him being the goal line back as well so on a, some good days, especially in that valuable flex position, he could be providing you with 
some touchdowns, even if the yardage isn't necessarily there. Um, compared to last year, he will be taking a step back in terms of what the five guys in front of him look like. Um, but the Dolphins did invest uh, a bit in the offensive line this offseason. Um, and some of the things that stuck out to me about where he's being drafted and how he did last season, um, he, again, he's 94 overall, and he's behind players like Sony Michelle. Uh, Ronald Jones and Carrion Johnson. So those guys are going to be in backfield shares as well. So it's kind of like pick your shared backfield, basically. Um, but one thing to look at is last season, Jordan Howard finished sixth by DVOA among running backs. Um, so he was right behind Christian McCaffrey and in terms of value and eighth in success rate on his runs. Um, so again, this is, you got to take a look at his offensive line. He's going to be taking a step back, but if he was, a top 10 running back by value and by success rate, then getting him at RB 35 is pretty decent. Yeah. And I like looking at uh, the term league winner like this. Uh, I was looking through some leagues last year uh, that I played in, in the championship league. I think I, the one championship I won, I had uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Devonte Parker, Terry McLaurin, all people that I didn't draft. So if you get out of your draft with two or three people that make it, to the end of the year on your roster. That's a really good thing. And while Jordan's not very exciting and he's been uh, the butt of a lot of jokes, uh, he's on his third team now and all three of the coaches seem to really like him. He seems to keep getting the nod over younger, more exciting running backs. And I think that he'll get the nod in Miami too. Uh, a really serviceable running back is someone who gets you 1,100 total yards and eight touchdowns. That's a really good flex and you're getting him for free. So I like that pick. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll save my thoughts on, on Howard for another segment. Beautiful. There was some fact I, I read about him. Like, he is sneaky. He's been sneaky productive since entering the NFL, and I forget. I was trying to bring it up really quickly, but it's something like there have been only two He's or very three. very good out of shotgun. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, he, yeah. entering um, – I think it was last year – no, two – Two years ago, entering the season, he was averaging like 6.4 yards per carry out of shotgun. And everybody yeah. was like, oh, my God, Matt Nagy runs a ton of shotgun. This is going to be amazing. Um, yeah, he's always been really good out of shotgun. I don't know if that's what you were thinking. Oh, but no, I was, it was really like in the first three years, only three running backs have like gone over 3,000 rushing yards. And it's Jordan Howard, like Adrian Peterson and Zeke. I don't know, I'm probably entirely fabricating this stat, but I thought I'd read it. It's just like Jordan Howard has been sneaky productive since entering the league. Um, and that is, I feel like something where again, like the name has been associated with like not great play or just always kind of being in the way of a running back. We're more excited about. And so, uh, and so I think, I think you're right, Jordan, that he is someone who is definitely has a lot of value, uh, especially if he gets into starting nod for a Dolphins team that good gosh, Ryan Fitzpatrick was the number one rusher on that team last year. So I mean, their, their ground game could use a massive improvement. I feel like both him and Matt Breida could be viable fantasy options. Uh, Nick, who do you got as a, as a league winner this year? Uh, it's not terribly sexy, uh, but it's Jameson Crowder. Um, so, uh, the Jets' offense is uh, bad because uh, it's Adam Gase's offense. The Jets' defense is <laughs> terrible because no one will play there. Uh, they've got opt-outs. Jamal Adams sat out. Uh, the team won't sign Clowney. So what you're going to see is Sam Darnold being repeatedly put in uh, losing situations where he's just going to have to throw a ton, 
Gase is going to have a shitty offense out there that, that doesn't work and doesn't do anything. And, and he's just going to be looking at Jamison Crowder, who led the team last year uh, in targets operating out of the slot. He is a, a really talented receiver in the short to intermediate area of the field. And, you know, week one, I think it was, they had their like 18 target game together. Uh, he really likes Crowder. And I, I don't, th- th- this one's kind of just, it's simple. I think it's the, the game scripts will set up to be pass heavy. The offense is not good, and he's so he's going to have to go to a safety blanket, which is Jamison Crowder. Uh, Crowder is coming off the board at uh, with an ADP of uh, number one thirty-one overall as a wide receiver, forty-eight. I think in any format that awards points for points per reception, be it half point or full point, he is an easy uh, weekly flex option, if not uh, wide receiver two in, in some boom weeks. Completely agree on Crowder. He's like a consummate eight-target type of wide receiver. I had him last year in like a flex position for Dynasty Leagues, and uh, he's he will get you like 20 points at, like once every once in a while, which is really, really great for somebody that is not going very high right now. Yeah, and I totally agree with Nick where it's like if you play in any kind of points per reception, Jamison Crowder has a legit shot to being like a top, five receiver in terms of receptions this year if everything stays healthy you know if he stays healthy and Sam Darnold stays healthy like I feel like that's I don't think that that's wildly out of the question and so that's just a shit ton of points there that that are sitting there waiting for you and whatever the 131 yeah that's take them don't ask questions all right let's move on to some players who we are not drafting from the AFC East and let us start off with Clark do you feel comfortable now tying everything together or should we keep waiting for you yeah, no, this is good. So uh, my my do not draft is a bit of a fantasy darling. And uh, I, I relate this to your take on Cam Newton. Uh, so my do not draft is Josh Allen. I think that the idea with Josh Allen is that a person who's been playing football their entire life this offseason has magically learned to pass. <laughs> and I find that farcical. He is a, a good runner, which gives him a lot of fantasy value. But he is, he is not a good quarterback. He's, he's played for two years. Maybe he'll get better. I don't want to condemn anyone's career. But he's going off the board as the QB7 at number 69, which is just, to me, ridiculous. There are so many guys behind him that I would much rather have. Uh, Allen had a decent year last year. He really just had a couple of really good games that I think people are looking back to. Allen averaged 177 uh, fantasy points per ESPN scoring, which really heavily favors rushing quarterbacks because it's four points per touchdown. So you get a, a big bonus comparatively. And uh, Cam Newton has has gone under 17.7 points twice in his career. Once in 2016, when the Panthers were absolutely trouncing everybody on their way to the Super Bowl. And then last year when he only played two games and averaged uh, eight points per game. Uh, one more number here. So in Josh Allen's good season last year, uh, his best season passing the ball, he had 11.4 yards per completion and 6.7 yards per attempt. Uh, Cam Newton's worst year, 2016, he averaged 13 yards per completion and 6.9 yards per attempt. Uh, so I understand getting excited about a quarterback who can run, Uh, I think really someone compared Josh Allen to Lamar Jackson and that just made me really upset and I'm just not going (laughs) to like Josh Allen ever now for totally not his fault. But the hype is just absolutely out of control on Josh Allen. He is a running quarterback who is not good at football and I think last year might have been 
his best year. You pass on him, take Newton, who's going as like quarterback 20-something and who's never done worse than Josh Allen's best. Yeah, I think like one of the popular things you might be seeing in fantasy this season is that people will put Josh Allen as like a, a tier one quarterback because he can run the ball for you and get some yards on the ground. But what separates him and the rest of the tier one guys like a Lamar Jackson or a Wilson or a Watson is that those guys are very effective passers and they have like an ability to complete passes down the field, which is not something that Josh Allen can do. And I I think Josh Allen is just like, he's in that gray area of like, I'm probably just going to wait to draft a quarterback now. Like if I haven't gotten some like a Mahomes or a Jackson early where I felt comfortable drafting them, I'm not going to go for somebody who's like a step under and waste that kind of value. Sweet. So I'll uh, fight all of you guys on this one. Um, Josh Allen is an excellent fantasy football quarterback. He, uh, I think it was Ian Harditz who tweeted out that he's converted eight of 10 uh, carries within the five yard line for touchdowns, which has like never been done before. Um, he's got a weekly rushing floor that is going to pick up a, a passing touchdown, if not do more for 40 yards is, is not really a problem for him. But the, the thing we really like, that's, is, that's good because he's not going to throw for any passing <laughs> touchdowns. Right. So, so I hope he runs. Uh, so the, 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 the thing is though, like he, he is a, a beast near the goal line and, and assuming Cam Newton is healthy, uh, we can take this title away, but, Right now, he's the best goal line back in the league. And uh, um, he is not – if you look, look at his short to intermediate uh, passing area, he's okay. Like, he, he's NFL fine. He has struggled uh, terribly in the accuracy department on downfield throws. And what the front office did is they went out and they got last season's best downfield receiver in a, a number of uh, metrics in Stefan Diggs. Now I'm not going to necessarily be targeting Stefan Diggs, but that's because what you, what you need here is they just brought into this offense, this guy who can come in and take like 800 yards and uh, take five, five, six touchdowns to the house. And that changes games. Like if, if you just, if, a handful of these errant Josh Allen touchdowns start getting hauled in by Stephon Diggs, who is a terrific downfield receiver. He, he, the The box score changes quite a bit. So now I have to say, I'm not taking a quarterback until my like third to last pick because I, I don't believe in in paying that opportunity cost. But I believe that Josh Allen will average uh, quarterback one numbers throughout the season and I think that he will have spike weeks that put him in the top three uh time and time again yeah I think the only issue that I foresee is just Nick I know you I I agree like we've seen Josh Allen be wildly effective on the goal line but if he's putting up like historic numbers like is regression not coming for him then is it like is this something that's going to be a continuous thing for him in his career, or are you going to get suddenly like he scored nine rushing Zach touchdowns? Moss, baby. Right. Like we scored nine rushing touchdowns last year. Like, is that going to happen again? Or is he going to, if that drops all the way to like five or six rushing touchdowns, which is, you know, that's something like Dak Prescott has averaged throughout his career is like six rushing touchdowns, which is a pretty, I feel like a strong floor for a rushing quarterback that drops his fantasy value a, a fair amount to the point where again, like Clark was saying, and we've talked about where it's like, his accuracy, his throwing, his throwing accuracy would have to just take, for me personally, a, a step in the direction where it's like, if that rushing floor isn't there, 
can I, am I comfortable with him throwing the football? But I, I agree. I think ultimately for us as a podcast, it's a little mute because I don't think anyone on this show is like, we're not quarterback early guys. Oh, I, yeah. I will absolutely go quarterback early if the proper – Clark. If, the, if, it, if it – well, I, I have no set draft sure. strategy. Like, there's almost nothing that I won't do in a draft if it turns out that way. Uh, one, one final point, and, and I like when someone uh, disagrees with a group. It kind of sucks when we all agree. So, Nick, I like that you disagree. Uh, the Bills threw for fewer than 200 yards seven times last year. Their high water mark for passing was 260 yards. Uh, Daniel Jones, Ryan Tannehill in 12 games, Gardner Minshew in 14 games, and 17 other quarterbacks threw for more touchdowns than Josh Allen last year. So if he doesn't get 10 rushing touchdowns on the ground, things are, things are going to look awfully bad. My bonus do not draft is Stephon Diggs. Nick, you, you really mentioned it. Stephon Diggs is fantastic at football. He is an excellent wide receiver. I love watching him play, and he's really, really good. Unfortunately, he just went to a team with maybe the worst passing quarterback in the league on it. So I would, even though Diggs is going late, I would, I'd still pass. It's going to be, you know, when are you going to feel good about starting Stefan Diggs in a best ball format? Yeah, he's, I feel like he's going to have three or four games where he puts up really big numbers and you love that he's on your best ball team, but trying to start is going to be like trying to start Deshaun Jackson. You know, that, that's going to be a really tough nut to crack. Hey, uh, just just to really quickly respond to the the point that that Pete posed, um, I think that if the team gets into a, a place where they're starting to have to pull their purse strings and they don't continue to expand and develop, uh, then we might have fear for regression. But what we're looking at this year is, I believe, an offensive line that was very good that is mostly held intact. I don't I don't think they lost any starters. Dawson Knox, receiving tight end, is in his second year uh, with the team. Um, John Brown in his second year with the team, adding Stephon Diggs, first year with the team, but still terrific uh, downfield threat. Like I just, um, and Josh Allen is improving year to year. So there is a possibility where we do have to worry about regression, but I, I think that enough signs are pointing to ascension that I'm not concerned about that right now. That's fair. Uh, Jordan, why don't we talk, touch on your do not draft player? Because I think it's someone that uh, we can all pretty agree on. Um, yeah, we already touched on him earlier, and he's the highest ADP guy from the AFC East, and that's Le'Veon Bell. Um, I, I just don't think there's enough value there to draft him at 40th overall, which is um, RB19, um, especially when we've talked about this before. Adam Gase just doesn't seem to like Le'Veon Bell. And that's like <laughs> that's concerning in a few kind different of a ways, <laughs> especially how like Jamal Adams just left New York in spectacular fashion. Um, and one thing I noticed about the ADP and another guy we talked about on a different podcast, even though we haven't gotten to this division yet, is that, uh, James Conner is just three spots behind him. Um, so I would much rather, um, you know, reach back a little, if I'm at that spot and Le'Veon's at the top of the board, I'd rather reach back a couple spots and grab James Conner instead. Um, he did finish RB 16 last season. Um, and he looked pretty good running the ball, but I mean, Despite being a pass-catching back, he's only scored double-digit touchdowns twice in his six-year career. Um, so that's not really what you want in this Jets offense, especially. Um, and again, I, I just think they seem to be a little dysfunctional there in New York. So I'm, I'm kind of trying to avoid Le'Veon Bell if I can. Calvin Ridley and Juju Smith-Schuster are right behind him. I would so much rather both of those guys. 
Yeah, it just it sucks for Jets fans. I mean, we're we're dogging the Jets pretty hard. I mean, Jameson Crowder is good they at football. They deserve it. Uh, Le'Veon Bell is still really good at football. And think about what you just said. I, I don't think anyone who covers the NFL would think that uh, you, you made some, you know, really off-base statement there. It's like, yeah, Le'Veon Bell is still really good. But, you know, unfortunately, he's stuck with Adam Gase. And that team spent a lot of money and put a lot of faith in Adam Gase, who's just ruined two teams now. And that's still your coach. So that is really unfortunate. Good for Le'Veon Bell getting paid. I mean, he put up 1,100, 1,200 yards last year with a coach who said at the beginning of the year he did not want him <laughs> on the team. Like, that's okay to think that. But who, who says that out loud? Like, it just sucks. Poor Jets. I can't wait till they get some hot new college coach next year uh, to try to turn around Sam Darnold because that'll be fun to watch. But until then. But Clark, he coached Peyton Manning. So. Right, so. He's going to get jobs until until Ryan Tannehill and Kenyon Drake probably get together in the offseason and just have dinner at some super fancy restaurant, just drink champagne together. Like, yeah. Um, okay. So I endorse all of these points here. Adam Gase, uh, he's a, he's got off a coach. I think that he's a good, um, I think he's a good offensive coordinator. He can't be given the reins though. The, like the, the, way that he is described by his former players is that he's very smart, but he is, when something works, he goes away from it. If he planned on going away from it at a certain point and it, he's got great ideas, uh, but I think he's kind of an asshole and um, is an, is a really emotional coach. Um, as, as Clark mentioned, he does not like Le'Veon Bell. He made that very clear. He has a doghouse and he just puts a lock on it. Um, he loves Frank Gore. I think that there's very similar things going on here with Le'Veon Bell and Chris Thompson and, uh, or excuse me, Leonard Fournette and Chris Thompson and Le'Veon Bell and Frank Gore. He loves Frank Gore and Frank Gore is not going to be a startable fantasy asset, but he is going to siphon away meaningful touches from Le'Veon Bell that are going to keep him from hitting whatever value his ADP is currently at. Uh, last point, uh, running backs on bad offenses are not good because they don't get very many goal line opportunities, which is something that he likes to give to Gore. But um, annually, Adam Gase offenses rank dead last or close to dead last in plays per game, which is, again, it's just you're he already is not going to have very many high quality red zone opportunities because of the, the uh, shittiness of the offense. And now we're just having a, a by design a low volume of those of those attempts it's just not a good situation yeah uh nick why don't you give us your uh player who you're not drafting from the afc east this year cool uh matt Breida. and to be fair it, my player was going to be levy on bell uh but we we're, we're not going to double up um so matt Breida, I, I was pretty pumped about him initially when it, when he went over to the dolphins but I, I had to sit down and think about this some more he's never really been a pass catching back he he's a rush between the 20s and the Miami Dolphins defense or uh, their their strength of schedule per Warren Sharp is very challenging they they face uh, I think it's league worst or league most difficult passing schedule which is going to make it difficult for them to make it down the field period their rushing schedule is is middling but what we're looking at is basically a, cha- a change of pace rusher he's not going to be catching passes so that hurts him in the PPR formats and he's probably going to be getting vultured at the goal line by Jordan Howard who I also am not very interested in drafting. I, you know, it's, it's nice that he's going to be getting some touchdowns, but you're, it's going to have to be like, you're only going to be able to count on 10, maybe 12 carries. And it, you're going to have to know that it's against 
weak run defenses to really even feel good about Howard. So if, uh, between the 20s rusher who gets 10 to 12 touches in Brita and they aren't passing and they're not going to be in the red zone, it's just not somebody I'm interested in, in taking really no matter where I am in the draft. Yeah, I totally agree with him. Uh, and and my, my not drafting guy is also in the Miami Dolphins. Um, I think I was initially really high on Matt Brita, but I think I've come more around to the Jordan Howard. If I'm picking between those two backs, in Miami, I'm picking Jordan Howard. Matt Breida also just has those injury concerns, which is always going to loom heavy in, in the minds of those who draft him. My guy who I'm not drafting this year uh, is Devontae Parker. And I, this might break Clark's heart, but we've had, I've had this on, my, on our Google Doc where we, where we write down our picks for a while now. So Clark's had plenty of time to kind of uh, see the news and then and recuperate from it. Uh, Parker is going as the wide receiver 26, 62 overall. And for me, the biggest reason that I just – I last year's season was like everything clicked perfectly for him, right? He was the only wide receiver really on that offense. Preston Williams played, I think, like eight games and then got hurt. Mike Gesicki kind of came on but out of necessity. It was, pre- it, was the, it was the Devontae Parker show with Ryan Fitzpatrick just chucking him the ball deep. And that's what, Pat, that's what um, Devontae Parker can do really well. He saw 128 targets. Caught that for 72 yards, 1,200, uh, 72 catches, 1,200 yards, nine touchdowns. These are all like blowing career stats out of the water for him uh, up until this point. And my worry is just that, like, I don't think, I think that this was this is his peak, and we're going to now see Preston Williams return and get a big workload. We are going to see this backfield of Jordan Howard and Matt Breida come back, and now they're going to have a ground game which they're actually going to utilize. Like I like I said earlier in the show, Ryan Fitzpatrick was the number one rusher in terms of yardage on the Dolphins. And so they were just passing the ball way more than they probably should have because they didn't have a ground game to do anything with. Uh, You're also not going to have Ryan Fitzpatrick there, maybe. I mean, at some point, it's either going to start with Tua Tagovailoa or it's going to transition to him uh, probably early on would be my guess, especially if there's threat that this season could get shortened just because Dolphins fans might want – or they. I could see the Dolphins either wanting to rush Tua to get him on the field as a product, but also maybe they sit him out. but you also have Mike Gesicki, who's continuing to, to show something. I just think I'm not sold that Devontae Parker is going to put up what we saw last year because of the fact that last year felt like a perfect storm. And also partially, this is a very personal note for me, Terry McLaurin is going to pick right after him. I am so high on Terry McLaurin this year, and so I just can't, in good faith, draft, uh, draft Ter- Devontae Parker ahead of Terry McLaurin. So if, if it came down to those two, I'm just – Terry McLaurin, I think, is just has so much more potential than Devontae Parker this year. So, anyways, I'm, I'm not touching Devontae Parker. Yeah, huge fan of Terry McLaurin. Uh, I was a little bit down on, on Parker until this week. Chan Gailey, their offensive coordinator, uh, downfield passing guy who was in retirement for a while, uh, he, he made it clear in, in a recent interview that Ryan Fitzpatrick being on the Dolphins roster was a factor in his decision to come back. He likes the fact that Fitz just throws yellow balls. He has complete amnesia when he uh, throws an interception. I I think that Ryan Fitzpatrick, although will not contribute to wins for the team, he is a much better means of uh, the the receiving core scoring fantasy points than Tua will be, who I expect to be, uh, you know, less gung ho about just launching bombs to his tall targets. Um, So, that gives me a little reassurance that Fitzpatrick is going to be in the lineup 
longer than I had initially anticipated. I also want to point out that uh, the Dolphins have opt-outs in wide receiver Alan Hearns, wide receiver Albert Wilson, and a recent report this week came out saying that a guy who I really, really like and was, was high on in last preseason, Preston Williams, recovering from his ACL tear, uh, his rehab, by all accounts, was going very well. But suddenly there was a report stating that he is now actually – it's it's not uh, – well, I think the, the phrase was, it's not assured that he actually will be ready for the beginning of the season. So last year, we saw Devontae Parker's, uh, his productivity skyrocket when when Preston Williams was out. He, he was in the mid-50s in the yardage per game. It went into the mid-90s. So all of a sudden, I'm thinking, okay, actually, he is going to be the focal point of, of Ryan Fitzpatrick's errant cannon. Um, so I... Although I, too, would probably prefer Terry McLaurin, I am actually okay with Parker being in this tier. Ryan Fitzpatrick has showed <laughs> us who he is for his entire career, and he likes Devontae Parker. So he's cheap. You should draft him. You all make better points than me, but Devontae Parker, it turns out, is good. Clark, and Ryan you, I mean, you've been the on the Devontae Parker train from the get-go, so I – I, you are you are riding a, a chariot. Not from the get go. I got on last year when the getting was good. When everyone finally decided to give up, I was like, "Well, now the contrarian move is well, to say now it's good. I am in." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I, let's. I too oh, am concerned about. Uh, I'm just gonna say I'm concerned about Devonte Parker's uh, breakout season last year. Um, I, I liked him coming out of the draft, and it's a bummer that it took him this long to kind of get get it going um offensively but it kind of ties to my late round sleeper um bounce right into it i would rather wait for um going at 156 overall uh preston williams we just mentioned him Uh, the rehab is something to keep an eye out on but at 156 overall it's not that bad um in terms of being able to just wait for a guy especially somebody who's gonna be one of your last potential bench spots um we talked about also Devonte parker's uh stats and his performance increasing when preston williams went out um looking last year um pete you mentioned Devonte parker out of 20 128 targets uh before preston williams went out after eight games he had 60 targets in those games um so if he you know was on pace for 120 i'm not sure that Devonte parker would have hit that 128 um, which would have boosted his, um, or which would have had his numbers decline, I should say. Um, if when it comes to Tua or Fitzpatrick, I'm not worried there extremely because I don't think there's that much of a difference in terms of um, what the fantasy value is going to be for the receivers. I think that uh, Tua can come in there and play really well when it's his time, but. Fitzpatrick, we've seen him be just lights out for at least four weeks of a fantasy season. Um, and I, I think for for the opt-outs at 156 overall, getting the, to me, clear wide receiver two on any football team, um, that late in the draft is, is pretty decent for me. Excellent. No, I totally agree. Uh, Nick, give us your uh, late round sleeper. Right. So uh, Devin Singletary is a real good back. I think that he's more built for change of pace, though, which is why I really like Zach Moss, uh, rookie for the Buffalo Bills, rookie running back for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, last season, even though he was a thousand years old, Frank Gore got 18 carries inside the red zone. That puts him like, I just 
looking at the the rough stats here, probably like top 15, maybe top uh, 18, which is crazy for a guy who was probably only getting like, you know, like 10 per game. Um, I think Zach Moss, who is uh, much more in the five foot 10, five foot 11, 200. And I think he's, I think he's like 225 um, as compared to uh, Devin Singletary, who was like 209. Um, Sorry if I'm going in and out there, guys. But anyway, I think that there's a good chance that Zach Moss takes over not only the goal line role, but uh, challenges for the overall lead back role. And Devin Singletary is just relegated to like the the 12 touch mark where I think he's going to get some decent passing game usage. Although Zach Moss is a really good pass catching back too. I believe he is also good in pass protection and we know he's a good rusher. I think he's just walking into a situation where uh, – He's built in a way – I'm repeating myself. He's built in a way that, that Devin Singletary isn't. He's very good, and they're looking for a guy to give at least 10 touches to. I think he'll win the job and uh, over, over Singletary and get more. Uh, his, his current ADP is, I believe, undrafted. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to find him on – He is uh, uh, RB49, 153. So, yeah. Okay, yeah. So he's going in the the, the nether regions. Yeah. So I if if you're looking for running backs late in the draft, like I think Zach Moss is an outstanding pick. Yeah, Zach Moss is a real popular name around fantasy circles uh, of those in the know. So uh, because of his goal line ability, and just because I I'm I am not sold on Devin Singletary being the every down guy for Buffalo given what we saw with Frank Gore and there seems like a clear role that Zach Moss is just going to pretty easily walk into. And that role has fantasy value. I like that. Um, Zach Moss is kind of going in the Preston Williams area, whereas Devin Singletary is kind of, I think he's not far behind James Connor on the ADP list. So yeah, he's, he's going like way higher than I think he should. Devin Singletary is going RB 22, which is, yeah, James Connors, RB 20, Mark Ingram's 21, Devin Singletary. And then next on the list, David Johnson, Jonathan Taylor. And uh, let's see if I can see RB 25 is David Montgomery. Do y'all, I just have a thought of, I think something that the community gets wrong so often is watching 200 pound running backs play a little and then getting really excited about them turning into full-time backs. And that's just really, really hard to do. Like 225 is a good size for a back. 200 is light. Yeah. I mean, Devin Singletary flashed some things, but I think the worry is is that, and this is now turned into a don't touch Devin Singletary section, but it's like he's, his, he's going to have to rely on kind of the big plays to possibly. It's, my worry is that he's going to rely on big plays to score touchdowns because when they get inside the five-yard line, it's Josh Allen or it's Zach Moss. Well, I, or, I think you know, the Bills well placed fades to the tight end, <laughs> right? <laughs> we know Josh Allen's got that touch, so it's coming. Yeah, I, I've liked the Bills front office moves of late as well. I think they're pretty like, or they're turning into a pretty smart organization. I think they kind of are telling us what they think Devin Singletary's um, limitations yeah. might be by grabbing Zach Moss mm-hmm. in what the third round or so. Yeah, like they. I- yeah, it's, that's playing. Yeah, they, were, they were drafted both in the third round. So I don't believe either one of them. I believe they were both drafted in the third round. So they don't have one doesn't have draft equity over the other one. Yeah. And I just while we're touching on the bills, 
I don't think anybody's going to go this deep as to mention a DST as a sleeper, but the, the Bills are a very good team, and they control the ball on offense, and you could do a lot worse than starting your season off with the Bills as your, as your defense. Clark Barnes, digging deep. I, I think we missed this news earlier. Is Trey White opting out. Uh, he is in. So the Bills defense is uh, – He's in now? He's in. He's not opting out. He, he never – yeah. He, he just said that he was thinking about it. He thought about it. But. Oh, okay. I, I thought his tweet was like, I'm – okay. Never he mind. Trey White, top three corner. Let's go. Yeah, let's do this. Uh, Clark, let's both touch on my favorite team's receiving core that we're buying instantly into because we love Cam <laughs> Newton. <laughs> who's, who's your late-round sleeper? So I – I have a hard time believing I'm saying this, but Julian Edelman at wide receiver 35 is a sleeper. Uh, I I don't think Edelman is the greatest player in the world, but he is absolutely the best wide receiver on the Patriots. Uh, He and Tom Brady obviously had a good connection, but one of the reasons he had such a good connection with Tom Brady is that he was almost always open and he was really good at catching the football. I think that those things will translate to a new veteran quarterback. I don't think that the target volume will be there, but the Patriots wide receiver core is Julian Edelman and a whole bunch of guys who we hope will be good because I believe Sanu did check out for the season. So Edelman's about the only game in town uh, and Newton's pretty smart. So I think that Edelman's still going to get a lot of targets and to get, to give you a wide receiver three or just a spot starter flex option. I can't believe Edelman is going this low. Yeah. And I agree with you to an extent, Clark, that Julian Edelman's the clear number one uh, receiver in New England. I think you're just forgetting about Nikhil Harry and how amazing Nikhil Harry is. So I'll give oh, you sorry, a pa- right. I'll give you a pass. <laughs> right. That's my guy. He's my late sleeper. He's going RB uh, wide receiver 62, 172, so free. Uh, and obviously, I have been very high on Nikhil Harry since he entered the league. And last his rookie year was marred by injury but the thing that I liked about when I saw him on the field was one he's a big body guy and Cam Newton we know can can get the most out of those wide receivers Uh, he did so in Carolina he's physical he can run routes but he's also like sneaky uh I don't want to say sneaky athletic because he's a professional football player uh but like he can he had, was great in college in like motions and run, set run plays. And that played a little bit with New England. He had 105 receiving yards in the five games that he started and 50 rushing yards. And so I think with uh, Tom Brady no longer there, Josh McDaniels is going to get more creative with this offense. And I think Nikhil Harry could be this kind of chess piece that is used in this offense in a variety of different ways trying to get him the ball in space and make be making people miss targeting him down the field because he's six foot three and can box out smaller corners having him in motion and giving him handoffs and having him run out of the backfield so I think he's a, a piece that can be used in this offense in a variety of different ways and that just gives you more touches and more opportunities to score and since he's going basically free and since I am in love with him uh, I, I had I couldn't not talk about him in our AFC East breakdown. Yeah, Edelman is just a uh, a lunch pail kind of player, very scrappy. <laughs> uh, Nikhil Harry, you hope that like with a rookie who missed an entire season that he just was able to like be around the organization, pick things up and kind of just learn by being there and have things from which can be, I'm just assuming, probably pretty tough if you're a rookie just hitting the ground running, expecting to start right away. So, you know, 
Okay. Cam, Cam seems like he might be a little bit more welcoming or at least understanding of a young limited player than uh, Tom Brady. Uh, one Tom Brady. Well. Yes, that's well, because Cam has been through a lot of wide receivers in his career, and yeah. I'm not thinking of any stories of Cam being a jerk because Calvin Benjamin couldn't catch the ball. It seemed to be the other way that Calvin Benjamin left and kind of balled out the Panthers and, and Cam yeah. Newton. So. So can't, do you guys remember when Kelvin Benjamin tried to fight him pregame after he yeah. left? That was crazy. That was that the year that he came into camp at 280 pounds? When he was trying out to be a defensive end for the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. Um, uh, Harry, sure, if you want to get excited, I'm, I'm not going to stop you. I think Thanks, there's a lot of malice <laughs> to feed there, and I think that, that Edelman is the number one guy. Um, but I think that Cam Newton is a Hall of Fame quarterback, and he's 30 years old, and he's in Bill Belichick's system. So, like – Throw your party, man. We're going to the Super Bowl, yet. baby. Let's do this. Well, now that you got Lamar Miller, it's pretty much for well, sure. It's, it's God, oh, my God. I can't believe that. It, that <laughs> I cracked up. That is so crazy. I love it. I love it. This is great. Uh, the Patriots is going to the Super Bowl with a, with all of our favorite players all on one team uh that's all we got for you guys for the afc east we're going to be touching on the afc finishing up the afc with the afc north uh for thursday's show but make sure you subscribe to the fake teams podcast wherever you get your podcast itunes spotify stitcher the whole nine yards that is where we are and that is how you'll not only get us but also our fantasy baseball and basketball podcast make sure to follow us on twitter at rb1 podcast follow myself at pete m rogers clark at nfl clark Jordan at Jordan underscore Smith 27 and Nicholas at ginger underscore underscore Nick without a K. We will be back at you on Thursday until then. Peace.